I greet you this morning in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. It's good to see everybody in the Faith and Arts Center along with those who are joining us online. Uh, Today is a little bit of a twixt and tween time. Uh, Last week, our students did an amazing job of leading worship. And next Sunday will be the first Sunday of Lent when we'll begin our Lenten worship series on the book of Daniel. So today is a standalone sermon where we hear Jesus talk about being the true vine. Our scripture lesson comes from the Gospel according to John, the 15th chapter, beginning with verse 1. As is the church's tradition, as you are able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of the Gospel. Jesus is speaking when we hear these words. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you might bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." Amen. And would you please be seated. A friend told me this story some years ago about an Iowa farmer who had a falling out with his local church. He turned his back on organized religion and became an embittered atheist. He was so hateful, even his own family would have nothing to do with him. And he lived alone. He was a successful businessman and owned 2,000 acres of prime pasture land. When he did die, his estranged family gathered around for the reading of the last will and testament. They were shocked to discover he had left his entire estate to Lucifer. The will read in part, since none of my neighbors would speak to me, And none of my family would have anything to do with me. And since the church is filled with hypocritical liars, I have decided to leave my estate to Lucifer. I want to leave him everything I've got since I figure I'm going to spend eternity with him anyway. Good riddance. This naturally caused quite a stir in the community. The family appealed it. It went to the probate court. The judge spent several weeks reviewing the document and finally upheld the will. His decision in part read, I've decided the only way to leave this farm to Lucifer is to abandon it. I order that the entire farm be neglected from this time forth and forevermore. All the buildings will be allowed to rot and to fall down. The soil is not to be tended so that it grows up in weeds and trees or is eroded by the water. For the only way I know to leave it to Lucifer is to have nothing to do with it forevermore. I always try to tell 
the truth in sermons. I don't know, it just seems like a good policy. So I must share with you that a very good friend of mine who is a Baptist pastor told me this story. And you know what they're like. So I cannot testify to the factuality of the tale, but I can absolutely testify to the truthfulness behind it. If you want your spiritual life to wither and to die, you don't have to become embittered, lustful, worldly, a gossip, hateful, agnostic, or atheist. You don't have to leave your estate to Lucifer. All you have to do is practice simple neglect. And if you pay no attention to it, your life will dissolve with a downward trajectory in this world and in the world to come. Homer Hickman Jr. wrote an autobiography titled Rocket Boys that talked about growing up in a West Virginia mine town. His father was the supervisor, and one day they were having a conversation, and he asked his dad, what's the hardest thing you ever had to learn? His father, who was an engineer, thought about it for a moment and replied, entropy. Hoyt Hitman wrote, I didn't understand the word. It was obvious to my dad. So he went on to explain, entropy is the tendency of everything in the universe to move towards chaos and disorder as time passes. It's the second law of thermodynamics. I must have still looked confused because he went on to say, no matter how perfect a thing is, the moment it is created, it begins to be destroyed and I asked my dad, why was that the hardest thing he had ever learned? He said, because even though I know it's true, I don't like that it's true. I hate that it's true. I don't know what God was thinking. You don't have to be a physicist to understand the principle of entropy, which occurs through simple neglect. Instead, go home today and try these simple experiments at home. Ignore your homework or your housework for a month. Don't pay your bills for a quarter. This spring, when your grass begins to grow, don't cut it. Ignore your diet for a season. Don't exercise for a year. And watch entropy, the practice of simple neglect, take its effect. It's one of those laws of the universe we know intuitively, even if we don't voice out loud. The moment you get your hair cut, it starts growing again. The moment you finish cleaning the house, dust begins to gather on the furniture. The moment you cut the grass, the grass begins to sprout yet again. And what is true in the physical world is also true in the spiritual world world. And the insidious nature of the danger is you don't have to do anything. The very risk lies in doing nothing. It's been my experience as a pastor, most people don't wake up one morning and go, today's the day I'm going to quit believing in God. Most people between their first and second cup of coffee do not say, this is the moment I've been waiting for to begin backsliding. 
Most folk don't awake on a particular Sunday morning and say to themselves, I'm never going to church again, and I'm going to make sure my children and grandchildren don't either. It is a slow, unnoticeable process of entropy and simple neglect, and even when we have good intentions, we know where that downward path leads. In today's scripture lesson, Jesus addresses the antidote the solution to entropy, the simple neglect. In John 15, verse 4, he said to his disciples, remain in me, I will remain in you. Other translations say, live in me and I will live in you, or abide in me and I will abide in you. And Jesus, in these words, is describing a relationship of constancy and continuity. If you grew up in this community and you still live here, you have abided in Buckhead. If you have worked at the same job for decades, you've abided in that vocation. If you're married and have celebrated your one, your 10, your 25th, your 50th anniversary, you have abided in that relationship. It means being close, intimate, connected, constant. I recall in my 20s, making my first night scuba dive off of West Palm Beach, Florida. 60 feet deep, open ocean, current, only a flashlight for illumination, and in the back of my very fertile imagination, the thing to Jaws playing. Before we flipped off the boat and descended the anchor line, the dive master looked at us and said, stay close. That may be the most needless advice I've ever received in my entire life. I stayed close to him. I was like paint on a freshly brushed board. I abided in his presence. Jesus calls us to abide, to remain, to live in him. To illustrate this point, Jesus used an agricultural analogy. In Israel, both then as well as now, trellised vines that grow grapes are a very common sight. And Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. You don't have to be a horticulturist to understand that a vine draws sustenance and water from the ground and carries it to the branches. And therefore, they survive and thrive. If you cut off a branch and remove it from its source at the vine, it will wither and die. Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. Our spiritual health is much like our physical health. You cannot exercise one hour a month and expect to be healthy. You can't cut back on cholesterol, salt, and fat one meal a month and expect to see your numbers change. It has to be a constant, ongoing attention to detail, and the same is true in our relationship with the Lord, who constantly calls us to grow and to mature. In the United Methodist Church, you've heard me say before, one of the distinct things that we emphasize is Christian sanctification or that movement towards holiness, a spiritual maturation, a becoming perfect in love in this life. And it is a process with milestones as well as steps along the way. I love the description of one father who, when he took his daughter to her weekly music lesson, described it in this way. It is the painful hour 
when the music teacher attempts to close the gap between my daughter and Beethoven. The Holy Spirit is constantly in the process of closing the gap between who we are and who God created us to be. And how that occurs is by abiding, remaining, and living in Christ. You've heard me discuss several times in the past how John Wesley talked about the means of grace that God has given us. These are spiritual practices or disciplines that enable our growth. And Wesley divided the means of grace into two main parts. There are works of piety and there are works of mercy. Works of piety we're very familiar with. Prayer, Bible study, fellowship, fasting, uh, worship, holy communion, baptism, the stewardship of all that God has given us. Means or works of mercy talk about an outward expression of our faith, that we feed and clothe the poor, we visit the institutionalized, we share our faith with others. These are the ways that we grow, we abide, we remain, we live in Christ. Jesus continued the analogy by saying he is the vine, we are the branches. When we do abide in him, the natural and supernatural result is we bear fruit. That when we have that living relationship with God, that is what occurs in our life. I, I realize it's still winter outside, but some of you are already planning your spring gardens. And so if you go to the nursery in a few weeks and find some really healthy tomato plants... Plant them carefully. Make sure they get adequate amounts of sunshine and of water and fertilizer and protect them from insects and disease and tend them between now and late June or early July. Do you know what you will see on those plants? This is not hard, people. Tomatoes, thank you. <laughs> it's what happens. It's the natural progression of things. When we abide in Christ, the same exact thing occurs. Paul wrote in Philippians 1.11, we will be filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ. Reverend Catherine shared with the children from Galatians of those attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They appear in our lives. And I will add a word of warning here. Oftentimes, I am, we are guilty of reversing that process. We see different attributes of the Christian life we want in our life, and we try to work to attain them. But the fruit of the Spirit is not a Boy Scout merit badge. We're not like Charlie Brown telling his teammates to go up to the plate, grit your teeth, and then you'll get a hit. You don't become more patient by counting to 10. You don't become more forgiving by growing more forgetful. You don't control your temper by gritting your teeth. Remember the process. Abide in Christ, and then you will be fruitful. And as you consider the fruit of the Spirit, if it's missing in our lives, then we need to go back to the basics of how are we abiding, remaining, living in Jesus Christ and practicing those means of grace. Jesus said to his disciples... I'm the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. If you're a gardener and the branch is dead, you naturally remove it. But if you're a fruitful Christian today, you ought to be feeling pretty good about yourself in a humble sort of way. But listen to what Jesus says next. 
while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes to make it more fruitful. The reward for faithful Christian living is pruning, which is a bizarre concept. That you take a healthy plant who is doing, that is doing well and you cut off part of it so it can do better. But the disciples would have understood this illustration. In Israel, the, the vines would grow rampantly with the water and the nutrition that were given to them. And if you didn't control them, all the energy went into the growth rather than to the bearing of the fruit. Pruning was a necessary part of what occurred. Now, if you put yourself in the branches position, it's got to be a lesson that's difficult to understand because pruning has to hurt. The Holy Spirit prunes our lives. Oftentimes that pruning takes place in removing something that is sinful, evil, and bad in our lives. And especially when you first become a Christian, there, there's all sorts of things that need to be weeded out of our life, need to be removed or pruned. And that continues throughout our lives because even as we move towards sanctification, we're constantly growing. There are constantly things that need to be taken away. And that is painful because even if it's sin, it's my sin. I've grown attached to it and to give it up for something greater is challenging. But that's part of what the Spirit does, but it doesn't end there. The Holy Spirit doesn't just prune the bad out of our lives. As you grow and mature in the faith, some of the decisions are not simply between bad and good. They're also between good and better, and better and best. I'm going to give this up, even though it's good, because God has something better in store for me. And this Wednesday, as we observe Ash Wednesday and we move into the season of Lent, part of what we'll be talking about is what do you give up and take up for the Lenten season? What is there in your life, at least for the season of Lent, moving towards Easter, that you're willing to lift up to the Holy Spirit to prune out of your life so that God can do something new and better? Because we know from horticulturalists that new growth occurs where the pruning has taken place to make us even more fruitful. Let me remind you again of Homer Hickman's father's advice. He said, entropy is the tendency of everything to move towards confusion and disorder. It's the second law of thermodynamics. But it's not only a physical, it's also a spiritual principle. If you want your life, your spiritual life, to slowly corrode and die, you don't have to do anything. The secret is doing nothing. If we want to grow and mature in the faith and bear the fruit of the Spirit, Jesus invites us to remain, live, abide in me, and I will remain, live, and abide in you. And the promise comes that we will bear much fruit. Let us pray. Gracious God, it's the fundamentals, the foundation, the ABCs, the one, two, threes, that if we want to grow in faith, it comes through a constant, ongoing relationship with you. Show us in each individual life how we can remain, live, and abide in you by practicing acts of piety, 
acts of mercy, of tending the soil of our souls, but also reaching out to others in the name of Jesus Christ, especially as we anticipate moving into the season of Lent. Show us those areas that need to be pruned, those things that need to be removed so that new growth can occur. Call us onward and upward, following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen.